0: Let me just ask you a little question to start off with. I wonder, have you ever come across the idea or the issue that if you are a Christian, then you're not really living in the real world in the sense that you're too heavenly minded (laughs) to be any earthly good? Have you heard that phrase, he's too heavenly minded, to be any earthly good. The Christian, we are told, lives in a kind of a dream world, divorced from reality and the big issues in life. It's interesting, I always find it interesting how people try and put the whole idea of Christianity down. This little trick, of course, is meant to make you think either that you're stupid or you haven't got your feet firmly planted on the earth. And it's a good trick because it does make other people think that becoming a Christian, coming to Jesus, is a silly thing. It might be for little children who haven't grown up, but for sensible people like us, clever people like us, upright people like us, it's nothing to do with us. If you were to get involved in Christianity, it means you must have left your brains behind at home. It's a clever trick to make people think that Christianity is a completely foolish idea. It's for silly people and people who don't know any better. Now, I'd like to refer to that later on, but keep that in your mind. I'm sure you've maybe experienced that idea if you're a Christian and people know you are, you may have been made to feel that you're a bit silly for being one. We'll come back to that. In this story, we deal with this question. The background of this story is that Jesus has just finished the temptations in the wilderness. The year is about 30 AD, approximately. John the Baptist has just been put in prison, soon to be murdered by King Herod. And Jesus has moved from Nazareth, his hometown, to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, as we're told in the prophecy. Now, this land of Zebulun and Naphtali, which was Galilee, was a dark forgotten Gentile area. It had been conquered by the Assyrians previously, and they had brought all their horrid, idolatrous, wicked practices with them. And the people in that part of the world did live in darkness, because the influence of these evil practices, dark practices of idol worship, still remained and had their effect on the people around. That's why the prophecy said, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, referring to Jesus coming to that part of the world. Very briefly, just let me say three things. Three things that happen in this dark place. The first one is that Jesus preaches there. The second thing is that in that dark place, Jesus calls his disciples there. And thirdly, in that dark place, Jesus heals people there. So, firstly, Jesus preaches there. From that time, Scripture says, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." This was the same message that John the Baptist had preached. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn to the Lord for pardon. It's simple. It's clear. It's direct. It's honest. And it's a a message with a deep meaning and significance, because, If we hear that message and obey it, it becomes a transformative and healing act within the inner life of the individual human being. Now, to get back to what we were talking about at the start, that point of criticism of the Christian. You're too earthly-minded. Sorry, (laughs) you're too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. That criticism is so untrue, because isn't the opposite the case? The true Christian is not someone who hides from the reality of the world or from truth, but rather, the Christian is the true realist. Why? simply because they have heard God's call, the call of Christ to repent. And then, they have examined their own hearts with a lot of discomfort, because when we look into our own hearts honestly and directly, we don't like what we see. We see our sinfulness. We see our wretchedness. We see our inner poverty and emptiness. But the Christian acknowledges that reality. And then, practically, they take a step. I'm talking in human terms here. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit who draws us to Christ. But we take a step of faith. We come to Christ and say, yes, I am a sinner. I have looked in the mirror. I have taken an honest, hard look at myself and I am not the person I would like to be. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I know that you died on the cross to take away my sins, and only you can deliver and pardon me." Now, that takes humility, honesty, perhaps a degree of courage, certainly a degree of wisdom. We're not to be patted on the back for that, of course, because everything is of grace. But the Christian, it can be argued, is the person who has been honest with themselves, faced the real reality of the human condition, and have done something about it by coming to Christ for pardon and peace. You see, it's the world which pretends, it's the world which struts about, ignores, excuses, or denies the reality of the human condition of sinfulness and human wretchedness. Like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they had no sin, they thought. Jesus said, you are like sick people. You think you don't, uh, sorry, you're like people who don't think you're sick, but you are sick. But you think you're not sick and you won't go to the doctor. You think you've no need of a physician. As we said at the start before our confession, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus preaches repentance. It is a transformative thing. I don't know if you've ever read the Narnia Chronicles or maybe watched the the videos on TV or, on YouTube or something, but there's a lovely picture of Aslan, who's representative of Christ. Anyway, the other Sunday we were singing a song in church. It's a song, Lead Us, Heavenly Father, Lead Us. There's a phrase in it that says, Savior, it's the second verse, Savior, breathe forgiveness over us. All our weakness, thou dost know. Saviour, breathe forgiveness over us. All our weakness, thou dost know. Now in the Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, there's a lovely picture of that because the white witch has cruelly killed lots of the talking animals. She's turned them into stone with her horrible wand and killed them and they're all turned to stone. Anyway, Aslan takes the children to the witch's castle, and the children see some of the animals whom they have known, and they're turned to stone, and they're upset when they see them. But when Aslan comes, the lion, he softly comes beside the stone creatures, and his breath comes over them. He breathes over them. And it's lovely in the film because the animals who have been turned to stone wonderfully come back to life and they can move their hands and they rejoice in the fact that they've been brought back to life by Aslan's breath. But isn't that a picture of us? Ephesians said, for you, Paul says to the church, for you, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But because of his great mercy for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive in Christ. Jesus preaches, and very briefly, Jesus calls. Jesus calls the people there. As Jesus was walking beside the sea, he saw two brothers, Simon and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. "'Come, follow me,' Jesus said." At once, they left their nets and followed him. Isn't that a lovely word? If there was one word in the Bible that inspires us, It's the fact that God reaches to us and says, come, come, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be as white as wool. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and drink. Whosoever will may come to Jesus. And we too are called to come to him and follow him in faith. Jesus called the fishermen, and he calls to you and me. Come. And finally, Jesus heals there. Jesus heals there in that dark place. It would have been amazing to have been on the fields and mountains where Jesus healed, at wherever this place was in Galilee, because we are told, it seemed to have been late on in the day, that Jesus went through Galilee healing, every sickness among the people. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering pain, the demon-possessed. This may have been a legacy of the idolatry that had happened for centuries uh, previously. Those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Let us consider Jesus' healings for a moment. First of all, let us consider the miracle of them. No doctor could do these things. No doctor could accomplish what Jesus accomplished. No surgeon, no physician, no matter how skilled, could do what Jesus did. Only Jesus, could perform those miracles. And by doing so, so, he showed who he was. That's why we call miracles signs. We look at them and we look and see where the signs pointing to. And these miracles are pointing to the fact that Jesus was truly the Son of God, the promised Messiah. The miracle of them. And secondly, the mercy of the healings. Each one was an act of mercy. We live, people say, in a very self-centered world. The milk of human kindness is often hard to, be, to find. But Jesus' acts of healing were acts of mercy, of sweetness, of compassion. And they simply tell us what Jesus is like. That is who Jesus is. Merciful and compassionate. And we also think of the mystery or the meaning of these healing acts. Because by curing bodily body body disease, bodily disease, the great physician of souls is pointing to his power to heal us spiritually. This life is a short life. We all leave it. Eternity is what matters. And Jesus is showing, by healing bodily disease, that he can heal us spiritually from the sickness of our souls. Christ came to take away all our sins and to completely heal us spiritually and eternally. Can you picture those scenes on that hillside in Galilee? All those people being healed and changed. So many various diseases, everything was brought. Similarly, none of us can say I'm beyond Jesus's power to help. Jesus couldn't help me. He's never had a case like mine. He doesn't know all about me. If he knew what I was really like, he wouldn't bother with me. Jesus saw everything on that hillside and no one was beyond his help or power to save. There were no incurables then. No person can ever say, I came to Jesus, I asked him to pardon me, but he couldn't do it, or he didn't do it. None of us are beyond his power to save and heal. Jesus preached there, and Jesus preaches here. He says, Repent, that I may breathe forgiveness over you, because I laid down my precious body, and my blood was spilt for you. And Jesus called people there, and Jesus calls people here today. He says, the same thing, come, whosoever will may come. He that comes to me, I will in no way, never cast out. And Jesus heals there, and Jesus heals here. None of us are beyond his power to save. Let us pray. The Son of Righteousness arises with healing in His wings. Heavenly Father, may you be to us as one who speaks and calls through your blessed Holy Spirit, and as the one who pardons and heals all our sins and diseases, body, mind, and soul.